on today's episode, Pain Science, Mindfulness and Healing Chronic Injuries with Maddie. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. I'm excited to bring today's episode. We have Maddie, who was a guest on the Run Smarter podcast, talking about her plantar fasciitis that she's had for several years. Um, she's actually a client of mine and she's been really struggling, especially before us working together. She's had plantar fasciitis for about five years. And while this isn't a PHT success story, she has had some key revelations in her rehab. Uh, first of all, learning about pain science, learning about the complexities of pain, um, how her thoughts contribute to her rehab and has really created a huge shift in her recovery. And I thought these insights are so crucial for rehab of any injury, especially if it's a bit more chronic, if it's been going on for more than six months, which I know people with PHT, um, that is quite common. And so people can take a lot from today's episode and I know I've done episodes on pain science before, but this is a perfect example, a real life example of how applying pain science and using things like mindfulness and just understanding the complexities of pain can really turn a corner in your rehab. So I thought this is a must for me to include on the PHT podcast. So listen in and hope you enjoy. Maddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Let's get started with a bit of an introduction about yourself, sort of where you're from, and let the listeners know about a bit of your running history, sort of what's um, what races you've done and what sort of mileage you're doing at the moment. All right. Well, I am from Lawrence, Kansas. Go Jayhawks. I <laughs> did not start running until 2008, right before I went off to college. I was a swimmer at the time, and... It was a requirement to learn how to like to be a runner for drylands. And so the summer before I went off to college, I finally started running and actually started to enjoy it and was good at it. So I went off to college, quit swimming my sophomore year and asked the cross country coach if I could start running at that time, like on the team. And he said, yeah, come run for me. So that's kind of where it all started. Um, after I graduated college, my sister asked if I wanted to run a marathon. And I said, sure, why not? So we signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon. We got in and I fell in love with it. No idea what I was doing out there, but loved <laughs> it. And I also heard about the 50 state club. So you run a marathon in every single state from a fellow runner, like on the bus out to the marathon. And we, my sister and I were like, let's do it. So we started that journey. I made it 10 marathons before I had to stop running. And I've done, um, I've done Boston, the Marine Corps Marathon. We did Grandma's. 
My favorite two are probably the Kansas City Marathon and the Leading Ladies Marathon, which is a women's only marathon. I highly recommend it. And um, so Renton, I've done like just a few half marathons. I haven't raced a marathon since 2017 and haven't ran a half since 2018. So that's kind of... That. Gets a good a good idea as to what sort of distances you're doing and what sort of races you probably want to continue doing in the future. Um, how about this plantar fasciitis issue? So when did that first arise and could you, I guess, uh, identify a potential cause for why um, symptoms surfaced? So I um, was still running at the time and I had just started nursing school. So um, I got my first degree in psychology and then decided to go back to school and get my nursing degree. And um, it was in 2016 when I first started to notice heel pain in the left side. And then shortly after, the right side popped up too. And I kind of think it was just like a whole bunch of stuff going on all at one time. Started nursing school, started clinicals. If anyone knows anything about nursing, you are on your feet so much, especially as a student. I did not cut back on my running. I think I honestly increased it. There would be like mornings I had to get to class by 8 a.m. I'd get up, study, go run 10 miles, and then like rush off to school. I wasn't wearing um, like the best shoes. I changed shoes with running. I was on my feet all day and not the greatest shoes for clinical. And from your podcast, I've learned that like shoes are not like necessarily the cause behind the injury, but I think all of those things created just this perfect storm. Then being a runner, I once I finally figured out what I was dealing with, because plantar fasciitis is kind of tricky where you feel better typically once you get going. So I had that and I just didn't know what it was. Once I figured out once it, what it was, I completely was in denial. Like, didn't believe it, didn't want to deal with it, so I didn't. I just kept training on it. Once I finally figured out what it was, I still was, like, I just, I never went and got help. I'm not really sure what the reasoning was behind that. I felt, I feel like I felt I could handle it like that, um you know, that rehab on my own. And so, yeah, started in 2016 and we are now in 2022 and I am just now starting, I feel like, to get some headway on that pain. Mm. I think you fit the category of the stubborn runner as most of us are when, you know, you're faced with an injury and just want to keep running and so you're sort of forced to, like you say, deny it and just continue. Uh, but... I think a lot of people who have had plantar fasciitis in the past have a very similar, uh, I guess, history with standing most of the day or like changing your requirements of standing throughout the day. And I, I've had the same. I've had um, plantar fasciitis in the past and that only just came about with a change in my my workload and just standing more. And it's very hard once you do have plantar fasciitis to then, because your daily commitments are still there. You're... Um, studying, your nursing, your like all that standing, that it's very, very hard to minimize that. And if that overall like load is exceeding the demands of the 
the fascia, then it's very, very hard to sort of find a way to overcome it. But in terms of your symptoms, what would you say, what would you say would be the classic symptoms or like how bad did it get? What was like the pain severity like? Um, how much did it start to impact your day-to-day stuff? So when it first started out, I feel like it was probably very, I mean, granted, this is so long ago. I'm not, you know, I can't totally remember, but I feel like it was probably the really the standard PF pain. You get up, your feet hurt, you go run, they feel better. Um, I feel like it kind of progressed pretty quickly from there to where it was like it, my feet just hurt all the time. The worst was there were probably several years where uh, I couldn't even wash dishes. I could not cook. I had to have a chair at the um, counter and I would like be on my knees on the chair just so I could cook and wash dishes. I would not want to get up in the evening to like brush my teeth. I mean, I did, but it was, it was so much pain. Um, I stopped walking my dogs. I stopped doing anything except running and any other activity that I had to do, like go to school, stand for clinicals, sat any chance I got. Like if I went to the store with my husband, like the Home Depot store, I would be sitting in the aisle while he, you know, was shopping because I just could not stand. It was, it was really bad. And even, even then I did not give up running. I kept running through that. Um, it wasn't not until I actually had to get surgery on a different body area, my hip, that I finally stopped running. Did you notice that, like we're talking several years later, was there any, was there change in the behavior of symptoms? Was there, um, like the characteristics or the severity or those severe, like daily limitations that you had did, yeah, did that change as the years went on? I feel like it did and it didn't. I, it did in the beginning where, like I said, I could go run, I could do most things and it wasn't that bothersome. But then it got to the point for several years where there was just, it was just so painful. Like every single day was painful. Um, it didn't matter what I did. So I feel like it got very disorganized. There was no pattern. I could have, I could take time off from running. You know, if I got hurt in a different way, like I hurt my great big toe, a different, you know, accident. So I had to take a few weeks off from running, but my feet never got better. So it just got to the point where it just didn't matter what I was doing. They just hurt all the time. Mm. Disorganized is a good word. Um, and just like following no pattern, like uh, from a physio point of view, we say like there's no mechanical pattern. So like an increase in load doesn't increase the pain. A decrease in load doesn't decrease the pain. So there's no correlation there between um, load on the body and symptoms and I guess that's a, a pretty common pattern as as years go on. It becomes less and less mechanical and more and more something else, disorganized or hypersensitive and that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, interesting that you've reported that. 
And I'll add like, you know, a lot of times people have like a pinpoint location on their foot that typically hurts. I could not, I can usually describe it now. It's much more in my heels and where the fascia like inserts from the arch into the heel, I think is the correct location. Um, but it would hurt from the back of my heel to the tips of my toes on both feet all the time. And that's not your normal classic planner. So it, to have the pain like just be so, yeah, disorganized, no pattern, uh, pins and needles, numbing, throbbing, pulsating, sharp, dull, like all those sensations. And you would take this to a PT or to a surgeon. And I felt like a lot of times they had no idea what to even say because it wasn't the classic symptoms anymore. Mm. Yeah. And I know when we started working together, you, you mentioned my feet are always hot, like they get hot and it's really bothersome. If you had those particular symptoms and, you know, the health professionals couldn't really make sense of them or had no real answer for you, it's probably going to be hard to answer, but like, did you think you still had plantar fasciitis or like what sort of thoughts were you attributing to your symptoms or like what emotions did you have? Is there, is, could you remember what you sort of went through? Um, it was a lot of like just helplessness and like hopelessness. Um, I'm sure there, you know, was very mild depression even with it just because I had someone even tell me it could be uh, like a neuroma and, you know, so that was what led me to get the MRI. But yeah, you're just, you don't have any, like until I met you and started listening to your podcast, I had no hope. I really thought I was going to live with this the rest of my life, like that the only solution was to chop my feet off. There were multiple times I thought that. Um, you know, that I just wish I could have, you know, big feet, like two new feet. So it was just very, very depressing, very isolating. Um, you know, I just thought I would never be able to run again, um, never be pain-free again, never wake up in the morning without pain, go to bed without pain. You know, I have a two-year-old son and there are like now I'm getting to the point where I pick to go play with him over the pain, but there have definitely been times where I'm like, I cannot get up and really go play with him the way I want to because my feet are in so much pain or even something like taking my dogs on the walk. I used to go do that. And it's, you know, it's something that I feel like has kind of been taken away from me just dealing with this pain. And then, yeah, you have professionals who, just have no answer for you and give you a very blanket statement. And so, you know, it's just like, stop running. It, this should have already healed by now. It's your hips, it's your glutes. So it's just very, you know, it takes away any power, any power that you could have. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's um, a good insight because knowing your thoughts, emotions, what you're thinking is a really good segue into talking about pain science. And I know you sort of took initiative to discover that yourself. And I was quite impressed when we started working together and sort of mentioned 
Um, you're also new from the podcast, but you just sort of took the reins and decided to, to dive straight into it. Maybe with your medical background, that probably gave you a little bit more incentive, but um, what sort of initial steps did you take when it came to learning more about pain and pain science? Well, I found your podcast when I was working with the my third PT, which was the most recent one at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And I stumbled across your podcast, thank God, and you started talking about pain. And I'd never heard it explained the way that you have explained it. And one of the biggest ones is the acute versus the chronic pain. And so the chronic pain just resonated. I've never been told I have chronic pain. I always get told I'm an outlier on plantar fasciitis and kind of they don't know what to do with me anymore. Um, so when I heard about the pain brain connection and the pain science, I went to my PT and I started asking her about this. Like, have you heard about this? Do you know anything about it? Do you know if it can actually be beneficial? And she had told me that um, she's heard about it, especially for people who suffer from unspecified low back pain, which we all know is very chronic and people have a really hard time getting over that. And she said she's had patients that have had success with like CBT and meditation and different things. So after I talked with her about that, uh, you know, I just decided to pretty much listen to every podcast episode that you have on pain and um, pain science. I listened to the episode that you have with Rachel Zoffness and I was driving in my car and she mentioned something about just practice belly breathing. And I did in that moment and the pain in my feet went away. And I just knew in that moment, I had like had to go down this road as hard as it can be because it's mental health. And that's so hard to like get a real grasp on compared to, you know, like PT exercises, like you're physically doing that. Mental health is much different, but I just knew that there was something there. And you are right. I have a background in psychology and then I'm a nurse, so I just see medicine a lot differently um and one of the things you talk about a lot is when people have a history of you know anxiety depression different things and i have a history of anxiety so i'm just very i think open-minded when it comes to mental health and anything that has to do with like going to therapy or meditation gratitude i'm very open-minded to it so i think i was just so receptive to that idea that, yeah, I just jumped on it. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I did because it has truly helped a lot. Mm. And last episode, Thomas talked about this, like with pain and increasing mindfulness and that decreasing pain, like should like be quite responsive, quite immediate in terms of its um, effects. And while that isn't necessarily permanent and that those sort of sensations would slowly return, it's a, a good insight to actually do just simple belly breathing then the, the symptoms subside. Um, it's quite a quite a good insight to have. And so you talked about listening to the, the um, pain science podcast episodes and Rachel's offness. Um, did you delve into any other material, any other resources? Um. 
I mean, I have in the sense that I've done like a ton of guided meditation. And then I also just have, with having been in therapy myself, aside from this, multiple times in my life, I have that knowledge in the background of knowing I've always been told to um, practice mindfulness. I've been told to practice gratitude. I've never actually really done it. I will say though, um, in my postpartum, like especially the initial postpartum, I got back into therapy and we did meditation and mindfulness together, like training. And so I had that knowledge that I was able to carry forward and I even still use today. So no, I have not gone on and actually I take that back. I am in grad school and for nursing and I had to write a post about mindfulness and meditation. It was the topic I picked because I'm learning about it for myself. And so I did um, like evidence-based research and yeah, that stuff works. They did it with nurses to help reduce compassion, fatigue, burnout. And when nurses actually practice it, they were able to bring their stress levels down. So it's not so much related to the chronic pain, but it is still about mindfulness and meditation. Okay. How often did you implement breathing mindfulness? And can you maybe just describe to the listeners what that actually meant? What did you actually do? Absolutely. So like I said, the belly breathing that Rachel brought up, um, I, I don't know if I said I got her book. And so I did start doing that. So that's where you just like focus on your breathing, which is something I've had been taught and, you know, previously as well. So I had an idea of what that looked like and I pair mantras with it. Um, so some of the mantras I picked up from your podcast, just things that other uh, guests have said that I was like, wow, that's like super awesome. So um, hurt and harm are not the same, which was just like when I heard that, it's like, holy moly, that is so true to know, to like understand the difference between hurt and harm is really major. The other one is uh, pain does not mean panic. If you deal with pain as a runner, especially chronic pain, and you start to get those flare ups, you, especially for me, immediately want to panic. The other ones are um, my body is safe. My brain is safe. My feet are safe. I have done nothing today that is dangerous. So, you know, my brain does not need to be sending these signals to my feet. And I usually do the breathing like if it's after a run and I'm sitting, you know, eating breakfast and I can feel my feet. I do that breathing while I'm eating and in my mind, like in my head, just saying those mantras. And that actually usually like resolves my pain very quickly. The guided meditations I usually do at bedtime and when I'm laying down with my son for his nap. So I can just pop in my headphones and listen to that. And I pick ones that have to do either with chronic pain themselves or reframing your subconscious thoughts. Cause I know I have a lot of like negative beliefs when it comes to my pain, to my feet, to that pain brain connection. And so I'm just like working on, you know, uh, believing I can get through this, I am capable, I am resilient, like things like that are just on repeat. When I'm working with clients, you'll know this, that I, I like to have 
people document their their symptoms um you know before a run after a run to try and gauge what was happening and for you i was seeing like your comments uh you know went for a run by the end of the day pain was a three or a four did some meditation pain was down to a one went to bed woke up with a one or two pain so you had you kind of found this within your daily routine of okay if by the end of the day when i've been on my feet a lot did some meditation significantly calmed down my symptoms um how did those symptoms behave week by week what what sort of um experiences did you have on that like time scale so i would say for me like starting this mindfulness and meditation like the symptom reduction was pretty fast like to the point where I didn't believe I could be having this reduction in symptoms. Um, like I said, I, I did that belly breathing exercise in my car and, you know, I was sitting in my car, I'm not on my feet and I'm having pain and I did that and it just took away the pain. So, you know, in during those few weeks, yeah, my pain went down like from you know, pretty constant twos, threes, sometimes fours down to like zero and ones. I will say, uh, you know, I had, I'm getting over a flare up over the past like week and a half. And so in, in the heat of that flare up, the meditation would work in the short term. And then it would quickly, like the pain would quickly come back up. But in that flare up, I am you know, really working on not allowing myself to panic, which is hard because that's what I want to do. And then I also, you know, have these beliefs that I'm working through of like, pain is not panic, hurt is not harm. You know, I'm going to have these flare ups, we're going to work through this. So there was, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and fear on top of just the, the pain that I'm working through. Um, I, I still force myself to do that meditation because even though some of those meditation um, like practices, my mind was like racing, I still kept telling myself to just show up be and listen and just do your best to stay in that moment, stay in that meditation because the more you listen to something positive or negative, you are going to start to believe it eventually. And, you know, I'm really thankful I did that because today I've had a great day. And, you know, I ran a hard workout yesterday and I'm having a great day today. And that's even been up on my feet, playing with my kid. But I think it's because I was just, I've been so diligent and, you know, believing that if I had that progress previously with that meditation if I keep practicing, I can keep bringing that pain down. So I would say for me, like, it really has kind of been like the icing on the cake to just, I'm doing everything else right. I think this is just like, it, this is the missing piece for me. So many people can do the right things, make progress, and then have a flare up and just totally derail their mental state and just yes. totally just send them off the edge. But for you, it seems like you just stayed the course. You, you kept a level head. You kept the, the process going and I've seen like a 
everything's calmed back down and you're sort of like a bit more of a positive attitude. Um, so you did mention that flare-ups, like recognizing flare-ups was a, a big piece to, to your recovery and to your management. Um, so are you now like, how are you processing flare-ups differently compared to what you would have done previously? Well, one, one thing I'll say with the med meditation and mindfulness is just being more aware. So in the past, when the flare up came, I would have placed the blame on myself or my body that my feet couldn't handle the training, that I wasn't doing something right, you know, whatever it was. Um, this time it was, okay, let's look at all these variables. I hadn't been sleeping well for almost three weeks. We had just gone to the beach, so I'm like barefoot in sand standing. Um, I, my training had kind of like ticked back up, you know, I increased my mileage, you know, so all these different things can play into why I'm having this increase in pain. And then as the pain starts to spike, so does this anxiety and worry and fear. So it all just, you know, creates this perfect storm. What I would have done in the past is completely lost it. You know, asking my husband, like, am I ever going to run again? Should I quit running? Maybe I shouldn't be running. Maybe this, I'm never going to run again. You know, all those like not beneficial and helpful questions. So instead I emailed you and I said, Hey Brody, I'm having an increase in pain. I think this might be what it's from. And these, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut back a day of running. Um, I'm going to skip strides this week. I think there were a few other things. So it was, it was creating a game plan to get ahead of, of a serious flare up. The other thing I, I did, as I mentioned before, is I kept with the meditation. As much as I wanted to throw it out the window, I kept showing up and I did it. And so it's like, now I am more on the other side of the flare up and I'm really proud of myself that, you know, I came up with that game plan. I, I kept with the meditation and I can say like, hey, you know, I actually have made progress. Like, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's interesting to know how effective just having a game plan can be. Just having a management plan on paper and say, this is what I'm going to do. Just helps the mental side of things, helps create like a bit of st stability and um, just a more stable mindset moving forward. And that can just help your thoughts, help your emotions. And then it just helps the the pain severity and those sorts of things. So that pl having that action plan can be quite effective. And yeah, it doesn't even matter what the plan is. As long as you have a plan that can be quite, quite good. And it's like, it doesn't, even in this past week, it doesn't mean that I didn't have fear and worry, but I trusted my plan enough. And I trusted that the meditation was working previously. So it's got to work again soon. So you're right. It's not, it doesn't necessarily matter what the plan is. It's, it's just that you have one. So you feel like you have some sense of control over a variable that can feel very uncontrolling. You did mention that another element was identifying symptoms and like identifying for what they are rather than it all just being pain and anxiety driven. Um, do you mind talking about that? Yeah. So another piece of just becoming more mindful and aware is 
Um, a few things with like my pain symptoms is I am hyper focused on my feet. And so it's been cutting back on that, like constantly, which is really hard, constantly thinking about my feet. And then also within that is identifying exactly what I'm feeling in my feet versus just saying I have pain. So pain can be a lot of different things, but I think at the same time, some things that might seem like pain are, are really not necessarily pain. So when I'm out running and my feet are hot, I used to just say my feet are in pain. Well, that's not always the case. If it's like 90 degrees and the humidity is like 60 and I'm on pavement and it's full sun, of course my feet are gonna be hot. So is that really pain? No. You know, if I get home and I take my shoes and my socks off and slip into my Birkenstocks and I have no pain, that probably, you know, that really wasn't pain. So the other thing is like that, you know, some of the pulsating that I have at bedtime, that's not necessarily pain to me. That's more just all of my energy is now focused on my feet at bedtime because I have nothing else to focus on. So it was really, you know, starting to identify that sometimes what might seem like pain or feel like pain is not necessarily pain. So it's it's helped me kind of break break up that pain cycle almost. Yeah, well said. And it's something that I've been trying to juggle over the last, like with my understanding of pain science and working with people in pain is trying to make sure or trying to prevent that hypervigilant, hyper-focused, how's my pain? What is my pain doing? Because as a therapist, what's useful for me is, okay, let's identify your pain during a run and after a run and 24 hours later, just to make sure that what you've done is um, you've tolerated what you've done. And that's my approach purely from a mechanical side of things, but can have its pitfalls from the psychological side, because if you're anxiety driven and really hyper aware, hyper focused and fearful of symptoms and you go for a run and you're constantly thinking, how's my pain? How's my pain? How's my pain? And then that carries on after a run that carries on the next day and you're constantly thinking about what are my symptoms doing, which as a therapist, I've kind of triggered that in someone to, to kind of think that way might be in some detrimental because then you're fixating and sort of linking that, that brain to, to symptoms and creates that hypervigilance. Um, and so, yeah, I'm still juggling that and trying to battle that. My, my thoughts of being like, yes, distraction can be really, really helpful in those scenarios and only just analyzing the pain in just a quick couple of seconds. How's my pain? What is it? Okay, let's move on. And also, really sort of focusing on the emotions you attach to those symptoms. Cause someone could go for a run and say, it's a four out of 10, but you could just treat that totally objectively without any emotions attached and just treat it as what it is instead of saying, Oh, it's a four out of 10. This is the worst. Is it going to get worse than this? Um, how am I going to feel for the next kilometer? What's it going to feel like afterwards? Is it going to get worse, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like the emotions that you attribute to it. Um, so you know, it's kind of the balance for runners who are injured currently to think about making sure we're, you know, observing, monitoring symptoms to, to predict what to do for the future, but not necessarily going too much in that direction, being really hyper vigilant around symptoms. Um, did you have to sort of battle between that balance? Absolutely. Uh, 
I've had this pain for five years every single day. So there's, I sometimes feel like not a moment goes by that I am not thinking about my feet if I'm in pain or not in pain. Um, you know, I can be standing in the kitchen and be in no pain, recognize that and start to think about, I wonder when the pain is gonna start. And then I start watching the clock. And what do you know, I'm in pain. Um, the other thing is, is like morning, what's the first thing I do when I get out of bed? I step on my feet. So that just like, I put my feet on the ground and the signal, whether it's sent from my brain or from my brain to my feet and back up to my brain, it's right there. So yes, I have decided that I have like a few moments in time, like during, you know, in the morning or when I'm going for my run or other periods of the day where I can say, hey, am I in pain? If I'm not in pain, I do my very best to focus on something else because I can manifest pain when it's not really there. You know, I do the same thing on my run. Am, am I in pain? At the beginning of my run, I usually try to check in at the end of my run. And if there is no pain, then there is no pain. If there is pain, I try to figure out like what the actual pain is. Um, and I will mention like distraction. Distraction, after I listened to that, I think it was the episode with your last episode with um, Tomas. Yeah, with Thomas. Is that... You know, you have to determine, like you have to figure out if you're distracting yourself or if you're running from your pain. And you can't run from it because then it's just gonna like get worse. So there is that fine line that I'm trying to figure out right now of, um, I'm actually practicing what he said, which is I am in pain. I accept that I am in pain. And then you list what you're grateful for or I'll do like my breathing and my mantras. And then I go to distraction or, you know, focusing on something else. Mm -hmm. And I'm still surprised uh, seeing a lot of injured runners, the amount of time when they notice an improvement that they report that I just went for a run and I didn't even think about my injury or, you know, I just worked for six hours and I didn't think about my injury once. And that's a really good sign of recovery because it's a, it's a good sign that not only physically are you overcoming the injury, but also mentally, emotionally, um, that hypervigilance is sort of fading away as well. It's always a, a, a really nice sign. You'd be surprised how many people say, I'm surprised that I haven't thought about it in X amount of hours. Um, so yeah, interesting finding. I, you probably notice as we've been talking, I've been writing down vigorously everything that you've been saying, <laughs> um, because I want to paint a picture of in the last pain science episodes I've done in the past, I've mentioned that pain is biopsychosocial. So you got the bio, you got the psychological and you got the social. And there's been so many times you've sort of mentioned your history and it'd be in like one of those three buckets you, you've mentioned. Okay. Initially, it was running too much, doing too much studying, standing, um, like your your overall lifestyle change with just more standing. So that would be what we call biological, so mechanical load, that sort of thing. And even during your flare-ups, you've sort of said to yourself, okay, I've walked around barefoot a bit too much or my mileage is increased or my days of running per week have increased. So all of that's 
mechanical makes sense, but there's a whole lot of other side to this injury that's um, that you've reported. So like the psychological, I've said, okay, first of all, you've mentioned that you've had a history of anxiety and thoughts of, okay, my default is usually when there's pain, there's panic. That's like your sort of the, the default state. Um, then the thoughts that you attribute to that are feelings of helplessness, feelings of like, will I ever run again? Fear, uh, you've mentioned like mild depression in those particular um, painful states, feeling like you just want to get different feet. Like all of that is very psychologically woven into the brain and really starts creating that sensitivity, that hypersensitivity of um, pain levels. But that's the bio-psycho social, uh, the biopsycho side of things. But then the social, you've mentioned, okay, there'd be some times when you would be able to unable to play with your son, you choose to sit down. You've mentioned sitting down during cooking, um, having to take breaks during shopping, uh, not walking the dogs. All of these sorts of things are just social events throughout the day, which if you, once you get that back, once you're, you know, you sort of settle down the, the mind and settle down the pain and you're able to reintroduce those things to your life, can have a really big impact on your recovery. And sometimes even just participating in those with a little bit of pain can be really um, socially powerful to help you with your recovery. And so I just thought I'd list all of those in those kind of three buckets just to illustrate to the listener, because I think you're, you're more aware about that now, um, that it's all really relevant and utilizing all these particular components and not just the biological side of things, all those buckets for the recovery is really, really important. Absolutely. I would agree. And to mention like the social aspect of, you know, um, previously before I started learning about this, I was much more apprehensive to do things that I knew would bother my feet, like jumping on the trampoline. We got a trampoline for my son and he freaking loves it. And it is so much fun to go out there and jump with him. And, you know, unless my pain, unless I'm having a bad pain day, I will go jump with him on the trampoline and I'll be like, hey, I had no pain with that. That's awesome. So it is like boosting that confidence, especially the next day when I'm still able to go run. So it is like it is, you know, working up that load capacity, I guess, as you might say. Yeah. Well said. Um, I can hear Wyatt crying in the background, so we might need to wrap this up soon. But if, as we're finishing, is there any other final tips or takeaways that um, you might have for someone who is going through a similar situation? I would just say if you are like listening to any of these episodes and you resonate with anything that is being said, like be curious and investigate and don't be afraid to to look to even just look into this um, mental health gets like a really bad rap but you know it could just be so helpful and I am so grateful that I was so willing to work, look into this because it has really made such an improvement you know maybe it's just talking to a PT or a physician about it like just don't be afraid to to just look into it and it seems like it an easy step just to do some breathing exercises just to see um, and just to investigate. But I totally agree. I think the exploring the psychological side of recovery is tough for a lot of people. It's tough to understand. It's like very vague um, and has a lot of just like gray area. Okay, what do I actually do? People like 
do these car phrases, three sets of 10, 15 kilos, two times a day. People like those numbers, but with something a bit more vague and a, a little bit less understood is, is very hard to initiate. So that's why I thought it was a really good opportunity to for you to come on and tell your story because it's very profound. It's very important that a lot of runners need to hear. And I don't say this too often, but I think this has been one of the best interviews and podcasts that I've done. So I want to thank you for coming on and for sharing your story. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power. Oh, 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 oh,